Okay, if I can uh, interrupt your conversations, and uh, please do pick up your conversations again at the end. Um, tea and coffee is available uh, outside the uh, doors at the back, so do please continue speaking to each other uh, afterwards. We're now going to have the scriptures read for us, and so I'd like to ask um, Queenie um, if she could uh, come up and bring our reading, and then immediately after that, uh, Nigel Gerd, who's one of our elders, will come and preach for us. The reading is from Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 to 27. Then he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Suddenly, a furious storm came up on the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Well, let's pray one more time, and uh, then we'll look at God's word. Father, I'm thinking of what John has just prayed, that uh, our eyes would be turned from our troubles to look at Jesus, and also what Jessica just prayed, that in the workplace we would be those who, in difficult times, might have courage and wisdom, and that we would be good witnesses for you. So Lord, we pray as we look at your word now, that your Holy Spirit would uh, engrave it on our hearts, help us to be less anxious and we do ask your forgiveness we're so often anxious and help us to be those that give courage to others in Jesus name Amen um, let me just ask you to think about the most godly person you know you have about 15 seconds try and picture them in your mind and uh, what it is that makes them so special so godly. When I did it myself, uh, two or three faces came to my mind. They tended to be older people that I knew. And when I was going through difficult times and anxious times, they're the kind of people that you know their faith is real. Somehow, they know your situation, but they can look at you with confidence. And their smile, their handshake, whatever it is, it, it kind of gives you courage as well. They're the people you want to be with in anxious times. What makes them that way? Well, it's more than Bible study and more than Bible knowledge. The Bible study and the Bible knowledge is very important. However, if you think of discipleship as one-on-one -on -one studies in Starbucks or a series of books, you're limiting it a little bit too much. What came to my mind was years ago, I decided I would try and go for theological study. And I remember going to two institutions. 
one of them I met one of the theology professors and I left the place feeling this person has gone straight from A-levels to university, studied theology, got a PhD and now he's teaching but really I had no confidence that he had experience. I went to another place where all the teachers had been pastors for 20 or 30 years and somehow they were different. It just wasn't head knowledge. Even as you got to know them and as you heard them pray, you recognized there was a certain godliness and reverence about them. So that is how I want to begin. And you notice point one says discipleship and storms. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea. So, his disciples followed him. So, discipleship is about following Jesus. Following him where? Well, as a good shepherd, he doesn't just lead you beside quiet waters and green pastures. Sometimes there's dark valleys and storms. And so, the shepherd is about to lead his disciples into a storm. Um, I was at Emma this morning. If the typhoon hits and you want real discipleship, maybe you can have your one-on-one Bible study there in a storm. It might be a little bit like this. Well, I make the point. Matthew is writing about following Jesus, not fishing. Um, the immediate context, verses 18 to 23, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to depart to the other side of the sea. So he just told his disciples, you follow me, follow my words, we're going to the other side of the sea. So they're following Jesus. And in the immediate context, 18 to 23, you have a scribe comes to him and says, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replies, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have their nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And another comes and says, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus says to him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. And then verse 23, Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. So when you look at the preceding verses, it's about discipleship, it's about following Jesus. But then as you look at the wider context, you also notice how it's about discipleship. The book of Matthew is split into five teaching blocks. After each block of Jesus' teaching, you have five narratives, five stories, five pieces of history that illustrate his teaching. So here is the teaching in the chapter before. We just sang on Christ the solid rock I stand and hopefully by the end of this sermon the song will mean more to you and you'll understand more about standing on a solid rock. Matthew 
7, 24 to 27, therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house and yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his hand house on the sand. The rain came down, and the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. So Jesus has been teaching them about storm proofing. It's the safety or security in the storm that's important, and whether it's a house or whether it's a boat. Um, that is secondary. And now he's going to illustrate the truth of if you are following Jesus' words and if you're trusting in him, you're safe and secure. So, um, to summarize uh, the first point on discipleships and storms, it's kind of good news and bad news. Um, the bad news is, he's like a good shepherd, and when he leads you, apart from the green grass and so on, he does have darker places and stormier places. But the good news is, you're safe and secure, and the theme or the main point of this sermon is going to be that the end point of this discipleship is you're going to be less anxious about life and more reverent, more godly in worship. So hopefully even as a church our worship will be more reverent. So, from discipleship and storms to sleep and storms, verse 24. And Behold, there arose a great or furious storm, so that the boat was being covered with the waves, but Jesus himself was asleep. So what, what Matthew is doing is he's giving us a contrast. You have this great storm, very high waves, and Jesus sleeping with his head on a cushion. So, the place is known. It's quite common you can get storms. There's a mountain, Mount Hermon, 9,000 feet above uh, sea level. And uh, this place is below sea level. And they say it's like pulling a plug out of a bath. The way the wind goes, you get typhoons easily. But there seems to be something else. There's unusual word choice. We learn that it's caused by the waves, but it's funny, it uses the word in Greek, seismos, or earthquake. So you kind of imagine you've got the winds and the waves, and maybe underneath, maybe there's an earthquake and it's like a tsunami. And anyway, these seasoned sailors have been in storms, but with this storm, they're terrified. You know, it says the boat was being covered with the waves. Um, I remember 
I was in one of these camps when you're at university. You have a gap year or a gap summer and you go across and you have to look after the children. And like the naughty camp counsellors we were, some of us would go canoeing at midnight, so it was very dark, and we went out onto the lake, and unfortunately there was a speed going, going very fast. And I think the wave that came would be lower than this table, but we weren't able to point the canoe into the wave fast enough, and so it just flipped us over, and we were both under the water, submerged, and then kicking and paddling the canoe back to the ground. Anyway, these sailors are good. They've turned the boat into the wave, but these waves might be higher than the ceiling, and it's splashing down into the boat. And Jesus is sleeping like a baby. It's a kind of open boat. His head's on a cushion, and the water is hitting him, and he's still sleeping like a baby. He teaches that you can have security in a storm, if you're with him in the boat, and uh, he's kind of proving it, he might be exhausted, um, but the impression we're getting is that you can sleep in a storm. As I look at the application, I'm thinking more about Hong Kong and the cost of housing and how sometimes that causes anxiety. I was at uh, where Will will be staying very shortly and uh, it's exactly looks exactly the same as somebody else the same flat as somebody I knew in another church in Hong Kong some years ago and interestingly when the price of housing during SARS dropped to half the price or less he was trying to give the flat away to anyone in the church that would take it. You know, if you pay a 30% deposit on a place costing 5 million and then it drops 50%, you're better off just wasting those millions and getting rid of the flat, and that happened to him. And to be honest, I live in a nice home, but I've been so anxious at times that I could not sleep. I've had insomnia. So, look at verse 18 again. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to depart to the other side of the sea, and the scribe came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He doesn't have a nice home, but he can sleep anywhere, even on a boat in a great storm with the so, if, like me, you've ever worried, uh, what happens if I can't pay the rent, or what happens if I can't pay the mortgage, will I be sleeping outside in boxes in a storm? Remember Jesus, he can sleep outside in Typhoon 8, or Typhoon 9, or 10, anywhere. Okay, discipleship and storms, number one. Sleep and storms, number two. So now we come to number three, Salvation and perishing, verses 25 to 26a. And they came to him, the disciples went and woke him, and they said, Save us, Lord, we're going to drown. It says, Save us, Lord, we're going to drown in the NIV. 
it's good to look at this verse in some other versions as well sometimes you get the question which is the best Bible version and I believe the right answer is more than one have a variety there's a sense in English um, where the NIV talks about going to drown you kind of understand the context is they're in the sea and you know if you're in the sea the danger is you're going to drown but the actual word it uses is perish so uh, when you read John 3.16 it's the same word and it's not for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not drown but have eternal life it's perish a word used about an eternal danger of perishing and an eternal salvation of eternal life. So I, I have a message here for the non-Christian, the nominal Christian and the normal Christian. So let me first speak about the non-Christian. This is a prayer that you should pray. Lord, save me. I'm going to perish. When you read the Bible, you start to understand your problem is much worse than you see. You only see the tip of the iceberg of your own sin and if the Holy Spirit opens your eyes to the reality of your predicament you will pray Lord save me I am going to perish there is comfort in it too and uh, there was a seminary professor came to Hong Kong to ordain somebody and then ordained somebody else in Korea it was actually me and uh, his wife was telling me when they were in Korea there was an earthquake and the building was moving and she was trying to wake her husband wake up, we've got to get out she couldn't wake him up so I found it so funny she went down the steps and outside the building and left him inside <laughs> Well, Jesus in a storm sleeps like that. Waves of water hitting him don't wake him. But he hears the prayer, Lord save me, I'm perishing. That wakes him up. So be comforted. Let me move on to nominal Christian. Nominal means in name only. Not really a Christian you need to understand this. I think the conversion of John Wesley is especially good as an illustration for today's passage. He had theological training. He was very committed. He was a missionary. And he was on a boat. And if I just read you a little bit of the account, John Wesley was on, bow on board a ship bound for Georgia in early 1736 when a ferocious storm shredded the mainsail and flooded the decks. 
many of the English passengers abroad screamed in terror that they would soon be swallowed by the deep. But a group of Moravian missionaries from Germany calmly sang through the squall. Later he asked one of the Moravians if they hadn't been afraid. And the Moravian replied that not even the women and children had been afraid. None of them were afraid to die. John knew that they had something that he didn't. So he's a minister, he's a missionary, but he's not yet a genuine Christian. Storms in our life can be a blessing when they humble us and we realize we need Jesus. It's a blessing to be convicted of sin and it's also a blessing to know that Jesus is sufficient, able and willing and can save us with just a word. So this passage is not really about how to swim, how to row a boat. It's following Jesus and his discipleship in storms to bring us through them so that we're less anxious about life and more reverent in worship. Number four, rebukes that calm. The second half of 26. He said to them, why are you afraid, you men of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. What position was he teaching the disciples? By position, I mean horizontal or vertical. He said to them, Why are you afraid? <coughs> spitting the water out. Oh, you have spits more water out. Little spits more water out. Faith. Then he gets up and he rebukes the winds and the waves and it becomes completely calm. Isn't it interesting? As a teacher, I want a nice, quiet environment. I would calm the storm first, stand up, and then I would start to teach the disciples. He does it the other way round. He's showing them, you don't need to worry about the storm. I've just been teaching you the winds and the waves and all these things. The house will stand firm if it's trusting in me and my word. If I'm with you, don't worry. The storm is not important. What impo what's important is your faith. And so, he teaches them about their faith before he calms the storm. I was uh, finishing, I think, my first or second contract as a school teacher in the early 1990s. And as many new teachers, I had classroom management problems and I was worried that the school wouldn't renew my contract. 
I was worried I wouldn't have money to pay the rent and stay in Hong Kong. We may even fly back to the UK. Many worries, many anxieties. Somebody uh, that people know, some people here know him, his name's Charles Ip. I was in the Young Adults Fellowship and he said to me, your problem is you have little faith. And in a very strange way, I suddenly felt very relaxed. <laughs> it actually worked. I, I think it clicked. Um, yeah, I don't need to worry. The problem is I have little faith, and so therefore I'm worried, but everything's going to be okay. It's a little bit like two people flying in an aeroplane. And uh, one has little faith and clings to the chair with white knuckles but arrives safely. And the other has more faith and sleeps like a baby on the flight. I think as an application, um, we can pray that we might have more ability to turn people's eyes from their troubles to Jesus. And perhaps there can be a loving, timely rebuke that will help other people too. And if we receive the rebuke ourselves, take it and uh, let it reduce your anxiety. Okay, the last point. Number five, from anxiety to reverence. Verse 27 the men were amazed and said, What kind of man is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? As you read the Bible, there are things like alarm bells. You read something and it reminds you of something else. You read the story of Jesus sleeping like a baby in the storm on a ship and what does it remind you of? Those of you who've been reading the Bible a few times I'm pretty sure you thought of Jonah asleep and then the sailors are afraid and they talk to Jonah and Jonah says my God is the one who made the heavens and the seas and then they pray to that God and the storm ends or the Psalms Psalm 107.29 that begins oh give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his loving kindness is everlasting and the way a number of Psalms do begin but in verse 29 he caused the storm to be still so that the waves of the sea were hushed as you read through the Bible, you understand this is something that God does. And the disciples are joining the dots. You know, you read through the Old Testament and somebody says, Thus says the Lord. But Jesus says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain came down and the streams rose and it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock of my words. He's attributing to himself. He's not saying 
thus says the Lord a different God. So there are all these indications that he is the divine man, the God-man. What kind of man is this? So, I've been saying as my summary sentence for the sermon, discipleship involves storms to make us less anxious about life and more reverent. And you're like, here it speaks of Jesus as being amazing, so where do you get the word reverence? Well, I, I looked at Mark 4.41, another passage. You have to be a little bit careful with this, because when we teach God's word, we're to be like lampposts. Those long things, with the lights, that if you're driving your car, the road can be seen clearly. They're designed to illuminate. So as we teach or preach, we're meant to illuminate the scripture we have and not use the lamppost the way a drunk would do who wants to support himself. It's designed to give light, not support. However, I go to the other passage because at the same time we are meant to read the whole Bible and when we're given parallel passages I think we're meant to read them as well. And we do get a little bit more colour about this amazement. Mark 4.41 They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. So here, we see there is a shift of focus. We do say, turn your eyes from your troubles and turn them on Jesus. But you notice as their focus shifts to Jesus, they're terrified. We can come to God like the child of a loving father and go, Abba, Father, answer my prayer. At the same time, there is a blessing of knowing God and getting a taste of his glory. Think of Moses in the cleft of the rock, think of Isaiah, think of Daniel and different passages. And there is terror if we're allowed the blessing as the sinful people we are, to behold something of God's glory this side of the grave. So, in summary, discipleship involves storms to make us less anxious about this temporal life and more reverent in worship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we confess that so often we are anxious. And we ask for your forgiveness. We pray that your Holy Spirit would ingrain the truths of Jesus' words 
that he is with us always, even to the end of the age, sinners though we are. And if we trust and follow him, we are safe in the storm. Encourage us and help us to give courage to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.